Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Before we get into the show, fun fact, this podcast was born out of a newsletter that we started way back in 2012. People really seem to like it, and we think you will too. It's a quick hit list of 10 things we've discovered recently that we love. Everything from recipes to beauty products to books to tools to truly anything that excites us. We send it every Monday. We do take some holidays off, and it's free. Sign up at a thing or two hq.com. Here's the show. Welcome to A Thing or Two, a deep dive into stuff we think more people should know about. I'm Claire Mazer. And I'm Erica Cerullo. If you want more where this came from and want to support us in general, head to a thing or two hq.com and sign up for Secret Menu, which will get you weekly access to members-only content. To share your thoughts on this episode or anything at all, leave us a voicemail at 833-632-5463 or DM us on Instagram at a thing or two hq. Also, an incredible gateway drug to this podcast is our newsletter, which if you're not signed up, sign up, but tell your friends who you want to be talking about this podcast with mm, to mm, sign mm, up for mm, the mm, newsletter, mm. listen to the podcast, and then get your chat going. We have an episode. Mm-hmm. We have an episode. Mm-hmm. One word, cringe. Cringe. So Nell Diamond shared this incredible tweet the other day from this Twitter account, Isabel Unraveled. And it, it was a strong endorsement of this tweet. So the, the tweet was, be cringe in 2023. Your life will legit get better on every front. This is not a joke. If you constantly chase your edge of cringe, you are probably getting closer to truth and authenticity because that is precisely what cringes people out. Conquering the fear of being cringe is fully a rite of passage to living life on your own terms. I, I really love your edge of cringe, just like edge of cringe <laughs> yes. in general, I think is really just, I, I want to make sure that we mm-hmm. take a moment for that. It's just really brilliant. Good. Just brilliant. It was an aha moment for me specifically that Nell posted it because I am a long, long, long time fan of Nell Diamonds. I just really <laughs> have enjoyed her Instagram since she was doing that extended bit about tiny businessman is what she used tiny to call her man. Yeah. It's always sort of fascinating to me that I like her so much. Her aesthetic is not my own, like her lifestyle. And she's the founder of Hill House Home yes, for people exactly. who don't yes. who don't have that context. And you're right. not you're not an app dress gal. I don't no. buy that stuff. Her lifestyle isn't aspirational to me, though I know it's aspirational to a lot of people and also that her, her aesthetic is appealing to a lot of people. And obviously, like, she's really smart and funny and impressive. And so it's not like you need to reach for things to like. I think there is something curious to me about why she works so well. And part of it is, I think, because, like, she is a little bit cringe, but she's appealing nonetheless. And 
I have consumed the various profiles that have come out about her. There was one in Harper's Bazaar, and then there was one in New York Magazine. And I really like the New York Magazine one. It was written by Matthew Schneier because I felt like without explicitly saying it, it, it was like investigative reporting on why does Nell Diamond's personality work so well? <laughs> mm, and mm, mm, mm. The edge of cringe of it all. Because he yeah. calls out, he's like, she's really like open about her like incredible wealth at a time when people are not as sort of welcoming to people sharing their wealthy lifestyles online in a really flagrant way. She does it. I mean, she balances out with plenty of other stuff, but but he sort of poses a question in this profile, like despite all of this stuff that we find kind of cringy in 2021, 2022, 2023, she works and why? And I think this tweet might be the answer. I think it's because she's like, I am cringe because this is my full self and therefore the cringe works. Yeah, no, I think that's totally right. And it it led us down this rabbit hole of what makes us cringe, Mm -hmm. a sort of working hypothesis. Mm -hmm. So this Nell Diamond version is this earnestness, people being super open and vulnerable about who they are and like just not hedging. Yeah, yeah. When you see pictures of her 20 years ago, she is recognizable as herself. And that is compelling. And part of it is I do think she's very open about sharing her full history of how she got here and why she loves this stuff and how she has always loved, you know, bows and long hair and all of that stuff and wrote her thesis about it. Rhinestones and whatever. And I don't think it's necessarily that one has to have liked the same things their entire life to no, to that's like, true. That's a good to point. do this. Yeah. But I think what it is is that in sharing all of that stuff, she's making it clear this is just who I am. I'm not trying to be someone else because I think it works for my girl boss image or because it sits alongside the Hill House brand. Well, this is just truly who I am, and that makes it a lot more palatable, I guess. I don't know. Salient. Yeah. 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 So our examples of what are some just extremely earnest cringe things, you know, the poster board scene in Love Actually, the Mm -hmm. like Kira Knightley confession, extremely Mm -hmm. cringe. Mm -hmm. Some things now used to be private cringe, but now they're public cringe. I find any anniversary post Mm -hmm. on Instagram Mm -hmm. to be cringe. Mm -hmm. Justin Long's Kate Bosworth birthday post was extreme cringe. I didn't even find it cringe. I found this it a little This is showmanship. Yeah, yeah, showmanship yeah. and just like, I, I'm sorry because this term has been really diluted by Gen Z and TikTok, but I thought it was like love bomby and weird. But then I read it out loud to a group of women the other day and they <laughs> being like, this is crazy. And they were all like, I don't know. I think it's kind of nice. And I was like, I don't know. Maybe something's wrong with me. <laughs> all of this is in some ways a really new conversation because there was no such thing as an anniversary post 15 years ago. Even like 10 years ago, there was yeah. no such thing as an anniversary post. I mean, it's just like a totally new form. And then the other side of this, the other things that are cringe for us, at least, mm-hmm. are things that are try hard. Just mm-hmm. like in the form of people trying to prove, I'm following the trends. Mm-hmm. I'm like, get what's happening on social media. This is what we're all posting. This is what we're doing. The like bandwagoning. The TikTok videos where people are like pointing at words. Here's what I did to like fix my diet this month. Two, <laughs> three. And there's a hip shake in all of it. And then there's Eric Adams, our mayor's entire persona. That is that is the try-hard yes. cringe mm-hmm. of it all. I mean, that has many layers to it. So why and how it's problematic, but we'll, <laughs> when he goes clubbing. We'll just, we'll make it surface. Yeah. We'll yeah. make it surface <laughs> yeah. for now. The, the entire subgenre of celebrities on Instagram all doing the same thing, then it being pieced together around a social cause. The genre defining one was when they all sang Imagine during the pandemic. Early pandemic, like first two weeks <laughs> of the pandemic. Yes. But so course. many since But of then. course. Yeah. And like at this point, anything involving Hamilton mm. and like Nancy Hot Pelosi take. and Hamilton together. 
you know. I wasn't quite sure what you meant about Hamilton, but I hear what you're saying. And I think the Nancy Pelosi staged photo ops, which. (laughs) Nancy Pelosi in a red coat. (laughs) Yeah. And the Katie Porter, the subtle art of not giving a fuck photo op, which. Book reading. I was annoyed Uh about because I was like, Katie Porter, I really like you. And you. I I don't need this performance art from you. Yeah. I don't don't need need the performance art. It's performance art. Yes. And so basically, there are these two poles, right? Mm-hmm. It's the like, I'm not trying at all to put a filter on. And then mm-hmm. I'm trying so hard to put a filter on. Yeah. And in avoiding being cringe, it's like we're walking this very fine line of not wanting to get too close to either bumper. Which is just like maybe a really boring middle, you know? Maybe, if you're, maybe a really boring middle. You know, it's funny that as we're talking about this and, and performance art comes up, And the fact that, like, this is all in many ways a new conversation because all of this is taking place over social media. I read that book. I still haven't finished it. It's like the thing that I pick up in between books. Ninth Street Women, which is about the New York art scene in the 40s and the 50s and the women who made it. And it's funny reading this book that takes place in a city and in neighborhoods that I'm really familiar with and picturing all of these artists and these individuals who it's really hard not to try to map onto present day. Yes. If they were doing this now, would I look at them and be like, oh my God, that's so cringe. It's so annoying. It did force me a little bit to be like, am I overly critical of some of these people who I find cringe in the way that they present themselves on Instagram? Because it's the exact same type of thing that these artists in the 50s were doing in a different way. They just didn't have Instagram. And I respect their art and I respect their process. And, yeah, their yeah. process and their courage of yeah. putting themselves out there. We decided we have a good model for who models basically both versions of cringe mm-hmm. so nicely. And it's Taylor Swift. I like how it's so nicely. <laughs> so I just, she does. She models it yeah. so well. Early Taylor Swift was like the awards show gasping, like the me, I can't believe mm-hmm. that, that I think. I, I would like to think as like a very early Taylor Swift fan was authentically her. Mm-hmm. I don't think that was performative. I no. think that was her being like, I cannot believe this is happening to me. This is my dream. And then the try hard version is reputation. Look what you made me do. The whole like snake motif, the like mm-hmm. Kanye revenge, like mm-hmm. plot line, like all of that, mm-hmm. where she was like definitely trying to be cool with Taylor she had to get through all of this cringe mm-hmm. and come out the other side to just own who she is yep. and to do fo- folklore or whatever and to give us the Eras tour, which is just a journey of cringe at the end of the day. And a journey of really bad bangs. Um, totally. and which, but what, the bad bangs are who she is. I, those are her bangs now. She can never get rid of them. Thank you so much to Nutrafol for sponsoring today's episode. Nutrafol is the number one dermatologist recommended hair growth supplement clinically shown to improve your hair growth thickness and visible scalp coverage. Nutrafol supports healthy hair growth from within by targeting the five root causes of thinning through whole body health. You can grow thicker, healthier hair and support our show by going to Nutrafol.com and entering the promo code of thing or two to save $15 off your first month subscription. This is their best offer anywhere and it's only available to U.S. customers for a limited time, plus free shipping on every order. Get $15 off at Nutrafol.com spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L dot com promo code a thing or two.
Thank you so much to ZocDoc for sponsoring today's episode. ZocDoc is the only free app that lets you find and book doctors who are patient-reviewed, take your insurance, are available when you need them, and treat almost every condition under the sun. No more doctor roulette and scouring the internet for questionable reviews. With ZocDoc, you have a trusted guide to connect you to your favorite doctor you haven't met yet. Go to ZocDoc.com slash a thing or two and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. Many are available within 24 hours. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C.com slash a thing or two. ZocDoc.com slash a thing or two. What's the vibes? I'm EJ, head of special projects at DBA, and this is Who's On Content, a show that explores and dissects the influential, behavioral-altering power of content through thought-provoking, culturally relevant, and industry-shifting dialogues. We're chatting with social media platform leaders, marketers, journalists, and content creators contributing to the content shaping the global society we live in. I mean, folks, let's face it. Content is everywhere. It's visual. It's audible. Hell, it's even edible. Go with me for a second. The content of your favorite restaurant informs the content of your Yelp review. (laughs) See what we did there? Tune in to hear who's on content. Hey, I have a question. Mm Mm-hmm. I was thinking this morning, is Martha Stewart another good example of someone who's just like kind of journeyed through various mm. cringe and just come to a place where we're all like, wow, or no? Wow, it's a great question. I mean, you know, she is a, a completely remarkable example of just owning who you are. Maybe that is a pretty good example of it's cringy, but you still like her because it's just so truly herself. I think her Tito's um, ad, her Tito's like cleaning ad, ad, feels exactly like something that, yeah, it's like she's performing something that is authentic and also a caricature and she kind of, like she gets all of it. She gets all of it. Right. Well, and also just the weird bad food posts on Instagram and, you know. And the glammy makeup posts Mm -hmm. and all of it. Mm -hmm. I guess the question is, is there like a good cringe and a bad cringe, right? Like, can you be cringing because you've defined cringe for us in these ways where it's like one of these things is not your real self? So is there only one good pole of cringe, right? Where you're like, this is your real self. I think self. so. Yeah. And I then there's so. the I other think cringe. There's like, mm-hmm. I think there's good cringe and there's bad cringe and that we're trying to make a case to ourselves that you should lean into good cringe. Mm-hmm. Um, and and like, not just walk the boring middle line. Not just walk the boring middle nine. Yeah. Lean into good cringe. Yeah. Get rid of bad cringe. That's yeah. just nonsense. I would like to hear more thoughts on this from people. Yeah. I want I, a voicemail or, or, or seven about this. I do too. I, you found this article by Caitlin Tiffany, who's the same woman who wrote Everything I Need I Get From You, which was that book that I liked about the genesis of internet fandom. She gets into the topic of cringe. So she says, it, this was for The Atlantic, as a term cringe took off in forums in the early aughts when the practice of humiliating oneself online was still somewhat novel. LOL. <laughs> if it's now mainstream as a meme and as entertainment genre and an incredibly cutting insult, that's not because human beings have become more cringe as a group. It's because we've been given more opportunities to display our cringeworthy characteristics and also to point out the cringeworthy behavior of others. Whereas people used to feel secondhand embarrassment on behalf of their friends and family or wince at their own awkward behavior, they are now exposed to the potentially embarrassing behavior of entire social networks. After spending years in that environment, our sense of cringe has been heightened to truffle pig levels of sensitivity. We can sniff out the tiniest flaws in someone else's public performance, dig them up, share them around. We're connoisseurs of cringe, maybe even gluttons for it. This goes back to exactly what you were saying about the Ninth Street Women stuff. Right. I really feel like if some of these 
artists who we so deeply respect and romanticize and add, you know, this like air of mystery to them. If they had been living now, they would have had Instagram. And a lot of us would be like, I can't believe this person's putting that out there. So I guess in some ways also what we're arguing for, what I'm saying here is like, yes, it's like both wanting to push ourselves to be more towards the good cringe, but also to sometimes second guess my own cringe reaction to people. Yes. My own discomfort with cringe and be Uh like, is it discomfort because this is a bad cringe or, or is this the good cringe and the discomfort actually says more about me? Because there's not something inherently wrong with obviously with being your authentic self, but also there's not something wrong with being your authentic self online, right? Like you can have a whole different conversation about being online in general, but- If you're gonna be there. If you're gonna be there and like people get a lot out of it in different ways, might as well be your true self and we may as well embrace that. Another line from this Caitlin Tiffany piece said, one person's a little hokey might be another person's cringe. Is cringe objective fact or is it a personal physical response that can't be explained? Do you need to have watched through your fingers or while literally cramping at the gut for something to be cringe? It's subjective that there is right. no such thing as cringe for everyone, which, you know, goes back to Justin Long. You felt cringe. <laughs> other people didn't feel cringe. Like these, we're all allowed this. I just want to clarify um, I felt concern for Kate Bosworth's safety. I didn't. <laughs> oh, nice. But that's another episode. That's another episode. Yeah. That's another episode. Yeah. This whole it's subjective part mm-hmm. of it reminded us both so much of Elizabeth Gilbert's big magic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because that whole, you know, one of the key points that we took from that was just perfectionism is also totally subjective. Yes. You're never, first of all, you're never going to make a perfect thing or mm-hmm. you're never going to like be perfect, et cetera, et cetera. But even if you make something that you think is perfect, Everyone else in the world will find flaws with it. Or maybe you make something that you think is imperfect that someone else thinks is perfect. It's just complicated. Right. And she, the thing that that struck such a chord with both of us in that book is she she frames perfectionism as fear and high heels. She's like, people pat themselves on the back for being perfectionists and use it to sort of justify their approach to certain things or their slowness with certain things, when in fact, it it is really just fear and anxiety of not being good enough. So it stops us from doing the thing and it slows us down. And if we can stop being perfectionist and get rid of the fear, do we get all the way to cringe? Is that that the other end of this, basically? Yeah, yeah, Yeah. right. Exactly, exactly. Is cringe the opposite of chasing perfectionism? If just leaning into your cringe. Yeah, and if you can't, if cringe and and perfect are both in the eye of the beholder, and you can't actually achieve them, then why are we trying so fucking hard on either? Right, right. What does it mean to just be more accepting of other people's cringe and to embrace it a little bit more, right? And to just like accept that you quoting Caitlin Tiffany, one person's cringe is another person's a little bit hokey. And I think, I don't know if it's an adulthood thing or a 2023 thing, but I think we tend to not be as willing to form relationships and friendships with people who have different cringe barometers. But a lot of my old friends from childhood have totally different different parameters parameters. than I do. What a great point. An excellent point. Yeah, the friendships you formed pre-social media, you might have totally different cringe barometers than people that you would meet after. Yeah. And I I accept that and I embrace that. And I'm like, oh, God loves so-and-so and and her way that she does that on out loud on Instagram Instagram or whatever. Yes, exactly. I'm just like, that's just who you are. And I love you for it. But I think... I would do well to have that same sort of non-judgmental approach to other people who I meet more recently and not just be like, oh, we're different because, you know, she <laughs> she has a different this. barometer for cringe, you know? 
Yes. Yes. I really like coming back to the the way that you opened this up with this Isabel Unraveled bit, just be cringe in 2023. Mm -hmm. And I think maybe we are all moving there in a little way. Mm -hmm. So it feels related that we've dismissed the term guilty pleasure. Like mm -hmm. you like a thing and that's it. It doesn't matter what it's, what it's standing is, what its status is, if it's cool or not. We're all just, you know, the idea of reality TV being a guilty pleasure at this point is right. just like hilarious. A like, joke. Just yeah. a joke. Absolutely it, it, a joke. It really is a joke. Like that. Yeah, exactly. Right? And then the idea of don't yuck my yum, mm. which is, is a bit of the societal way at this. Mm -hmm. If we're being authentic to who we are, what we like, what matters to us, then that gives people, you know, other people in our lives a space to do the same thing. It also just feels related to conversations I've been seeing at the top of the year around style and just people really leaning into the idea of style and away from trend mm -hmm. and this wonderful. So Kaylin Haworth, who was a designer mm -hmm. who we loved and sold on of a kind back in the day, has a newsletter called Kale Mail. Great name. Great name. K-A-E-L. She had an installment with the subject line, ins without outs. Everywhere I look, I'm seeing lists of ins and outs for 2023. I love it. But the twist for this newsletter is I'm leaving out the outs because telling people what's not cool is out for 2023. I mean, and every year after. And every year after. This just feel, this feels like the place that we should be getting to. Okay. There's no more like, is this cool? Let's let's not even give people the opportunity to do the bad cringe and and just push them toward the good cringe. There's definitely a really interesting conversation to be had about how this all applies to fashion, because I think the other part of this is that we've reached a point where so many trends were relevant at once that it all the trends just all became irrelevant. It was just like pick your lane. Choose what Everything you like. was a micro trend. Yeah. Every single thing. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Another newsletter that, that struck a chord in relation to this topic is Perfectly Imperfect, which interviews different interesting people, one of whom is this guy, David Brandon Geating, who's a photographer who we love. They ask people to recommend different things, basically, it's similar in, in ways to what we do, in fact. <laughs> and he endorses making new art with no research. He says, Imagine the art that would flow out of you without any sort of but what will they think of it hangups? That's really what we all want to see, right? We want to see the most surprising, most vulnerable, most specific to your mind right now type shit. He's basically just like, stop being like, has someone already made this? Am I doing what somebody else already did? Just, just put yourself Am I there. doing it wrong? Right. Am I exactly. doing it wrong? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and this is the thing. In general, putting yourself out there is cringe, mm -hmm. but not putting yourself out there is sad. So which is worse? That, that's the, that's the pull line from here. It's, yeah, it, not putting yourself out there is sad or just not living your life and being your true self, right? This all yes. also relates back in some ways to something I've kind of always been really interested in is our, how we feel about our younger selves. And this has come up many times throughout my life, but it came up, it really stuck when that podcast Mortified became really big. Mm. The concept of which is people read embarrassing diary entries. I was floored by it because I could never, not only could I never do that, I can barely read my own diary entries. Like I, I really talk about like looking through your fingers. I, I can, I open them and I close them really quickly. And I just know that I put them back in the box. And I've always wondered what it is that separates me from the type of person who's willing to read it on a podcast. And I have absolutely no idea, except I have a hunch that the people who are willing to read it aloud on a podcast have figured out something important that I have yet to figure out. There's something important about a willingness to 
laugh at, embrace, and put your younger self out there, no matter how embarrassing it might seem. Yes, 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 yes. I've always been weirdly grateful that I never kept a diary Mm -hmm. of any kind. Mm -hmm. And recently that made me really just kind of sad for myself. Like, Mm. how great would it be to have this? Why did I, why am I so proud to not have this embarrassing shit? We were all embarrassing children or teenagers or whatever. There's no such thing as a child or a teen who's not embarrassing. I think maybe the people who are willing to read it out loud on a podcast aren't actually embarrassed by it. I think they think it's like funny and they're able to embrace it where it really still puts my stomach in knots to read about a crush I had in seventh grade and why. And I remember at one point feeling so embarrassed that I told my mom I was going to tear out a bunch of diary pages. And she was like, why don't you just tape them together? Like tape together the pages that you are embarrassed about. Don't want to see. Yeah, that you don't want to see. I don't think you should rip them out, which was a really sage piece of advice. And then in years, you can get your box cutter out and untape them. And yeah, well, and when what? I when yeah. I reach a place of enlightenment where I'm not so embarrassed <laughs> about this. So, OK, so the, it, this came up again recently in two different instances. One, I was cleaning out a box of stuff from my parents' attic and I found this old picture of myself. I think I'm around 13 or 14. It's at summer camp. I am wearing a Jamiroquai ringer tee, so many rings, bracelets, necklaces, Doc Martens, baggy jeans, smudged mascara under my eye. My hair is very frizzy and triangular. And I'm sitting next to my friend Stella, who was so cute and looks like she walked straight out of Adelia's catalog. And for whatever reason, and I I really don't know, for the first time ever, I was able to look at this picture and have affection for that version of myself instead of needing to shove it back in the box. And it was different than that phenomenon that many women experience where you look back at a picture of yourself where you thought you were fat or ugly or wrinkled or whatever, and you're like, I right, was actually- Right, like Nora Ephron yes, essay. Right. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't that. I do that plenty, obviously, but this was me feeling like this sweet girl who was like insecure and just trying her best and had so much More to learn. More a Tusa Rubenstein. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And really feeling like sympathy for all of the insecurity I felt in relationship to my friend who was so pretty and cute and always had the right outfit. And it felt really good. It felt like progress. And Helen Peterson recently went into her mom's house and opened boxes mm-hmm. and was like digging through all of her ephemera too. Mm-hmm. And she wrote a newsletter about this where she also dug into the fact that today's teens won't have this archive of their former selves. Mm-hmm. They won't have the ticket stubs and the, you know, these like things that we all had. The quote from this is, they've also learned that self-documenting online is signing yourself up for some sort of future liability or embarrassment. Ultimate cringe. Tracelessness becomes aspirational. Yeah, I mean- Tracelessness becomes aspirational. Oh. So this came up again because I was watching the doc, the Jonah Hill documentary Stutz about his therapist. The gist of it is, is he loves his therapist and his therapist has a set of tools that he shares with all of his patients. And they go through the tools. So one of the tools that he shares is this concept of the shadow. And in the context of of Jonah's life, his shadow is his 14-year-old overweight, insecure self who he is so deeply embarrassed of. And so the gist of the concept of the shadow is the shadow is this version of yourself you're ashamed of and you first have to find and identify it in order to be able to work with it. And then once you've identified it, you shouldn't hide it. You have to give it attention. You have to include it in your life. You have to celebrate it and be proud of it. And one of the things they talk about that I love so much is like the shadow is most important to bring with you when you are in a really high stakes, high pressure situation, when you feel like you have to be Mm. your best self, like you're giving a big presentation, you are on a first date. That's when you have to really bring your shadow with you. 
And because that's the vulnerability and that's the authenticity. Well, and because here's my interpretation of it, okay? And I I, yeah. I don't know that this that they would that Phil You're not the therapist. I don't understand. know that Phil Stutz would would endorse this interpretation. But what I like is that those high stakes moments are where you feel like you have to be a version of your best self. And I think we tell ourselves the version of my best self is not the same as my true self. Yes. But if you're bringing that with yes. thing with you that you're embarrassed about, you're saying this is part of my true self too, and and this is like in order to be my and best this is self, what makes I have to me be me. my yeah. I have to, in yeah. order to be my best self, I have to be my whole self. Uh huh. Uh-huh. And that kind of takes the pressure off a little bit. So I I transcribe this quote from Jonah Hill in the documentary. He says, "Being in sync with your shadow is about having a sense of wholeness, and wholeness means I don't need anything else. I'm whole the way I am, and that's very freeing. If I'm content with my true self, then other people's opinions affect me way less." I just want to say that. I think I hear women say things like this fairly regularly mm-hmm. on podcasts and in, in newsletters mm-hmm. and in those sorts of contexts. And mm-hmm. I think I hear men say things like, wholeness means I don't need anything else. I'm whole the way I am. Mm-hmm. It's thrilling to hear men say it. Oh, yeah. I mean, tangentially, I didn't, this documentary to me, I didn't love the way it was made, but I love that it was made. Like, it, yes. It, 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 and felt similarly about the Selena Gomez documentary, where it was not my favorite film ever made, but I loved that it was made. I have to say, part of what this reminded me of was that you, at some point you shared in some context your dad's sort of favorite saying from your childhood being, be yourself. Mm. That he be would yourself. always just say, be yourself. Which at the time, I remember being surprised and being like, that's such a like throwaway like quote, just be yourself. Like, right, you hear that all the time. And it's like a shortened version of the Oscar Wilde be yourself. Everyone else is taken. Right, right. But But, it's, and he would, and he would say it in every context. It would be like, I was going to take my ACTs and he would be like, be yourself. And you're like, it's a standardized test. How does this apply? (laughs) But it's actually really profound. And I really, I remember thinking that when you explained it in that way of saying, be yourself when you're taking a math test, like what the fuck does that mean? But actually like you should just be yourself when you're taking a math test and in every context and in all the ways that one is their self. I was reading a story in Vogue about this Broadway show, Kimberly Akimbo, that sounds fascinating and I want to see it. But anyway, there is a bit in it that feels very related to this, but from Justin Cooley, who is one of the leads. He said, I think the quirkiest, purest parts of ourselves are honestly the most magical, but you often want to hide from them because you want to be someone else, especially in high school, he says. As this weird five foot five skinny black man in theater, I spent a lot of time trying to find parts of myself that I could sculpt into, you know, something else. But this role really spoke to the deepest part of me like no other role before and told me not to worry about any of that. So good. So good. I love it. There's just something about this that feels very almost like write what you know, that ism of just like leaning into like these things that like make you you like it's trite and cringe as all of that sounds. This is the special sauce. Him talking about this concept and this specifically in high school also reminds me of that that Mo Willems interview. Mo Willems has a trans son and he talks about how trans and queer youth he feels are really special because they have had to, at a very young age, decide what they're willing to sacrifice in order to be their true selves and whose yes. opinions they are willing to dismiss. And, and what and what their true self is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so many adults never get to that place, or if they do it, it's a much later stage in life. That really struck me because something I really struggle with is just caring way too much what other people think. And yeah. Of course. I mean, yeah, I think a lot of people do. And it has just been in the last few years, really a bigger goal of mine, because I think I've just started to realize it. It's come to fore in a lot of different parts of my life, especially in my professional life. I think when we were running of a kind and leading a team and I found myself worrying so much about 
what our team thought of me personally, of me as a manager, of the decisions that I was making and found that to be just crippling at times and also really getting in the way of me being a good manager and a leader and yes. making good decisions. And I have just been searching for some answer for how how does one do that? How does one just stop caring what other people think, especially when caring what people think is objectively important in a lot of scenarios, right? Like there's a, it's a spectrum. Yes, yes. You and I at the end of last year set some professional goals and I had a bit of an, a light bulb moment where I was like, for us to achieve these professional goals, I actually have to stop caring what other people think. It no longer just serves you personally. It suddenly becomes, it, it, it inhibits doing the things you want to do. It's not only that I'm finally starting to believe it, which I think for a long time, it was really hard for me to believe that it didn't matter what other people think, because I would get to this place where I was like, well, actually, it has an impact on my life, what other people think, right? So I can't actually just dismiss it. But what I started to realize was it's a barrier to progress. I can't do the things I want to do. I can't live the life I want to live. I can't achieve my goals if I am constantly weighing what other people think. And I think that is what finally clicked for me. And so the thing that I have started to do is just when I find myself worrying about what other people think, I just like mentally sort of flick myself, you know? <laughs> Yeah. Like, yeah. in a way, there's a rubber band around your yeah. brain that you snap. Just flagging, weighing what other people think, and just being like, okay, you're doing that. So let's just stop, or or at least just being aware of it has, has been the thing so far that has helped me. Something we talked about when we were talking about professional goal setting was that, of course, we do things on this podcast that are cringe and that are mm -hmm. making other people cringe. And of course, we, and we have to assume that there are group chats mm -hmm. that are talking shit on us yes. and hate listen or whatever. Mm -hmm. And, we both are totally fine with it, which feels great. Yeah. yeah, it was a it was a good aha moment to realize that as much as I think we do both give ourselves shit about caring too much what other people think and like weighing that in our decisions, I am totally comfortable with the idea of there being group chats and and side texts and emails about how annoying we are because of course there are there are about all of them and also it doesn't matter. Right. <laughs> It doesn't affect my life at all. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. It truly doesn't affect your life. It really does not matter. Do you remember, I think that this is like when that, I, I really had that realization and things shifted for me a little bit. We did this survey at Of A Kind years ago asking for feedback and some of it was open-ended and somebody wrote in something where they found it very annoying how enthusiastic we were about everything in the newsletter and how they would. And she just straight up told us in this survey that she and her friends would forward it to each other and be like, LOL, it's the best toothbrush in the entire world that's ever been in the universe. It's amazing. And make fun of our enthusiasm. enthusiasm. A lot of those, the things that would come back in those surveys would keep me up at night. But for some reason, I was like, oh, I'm totally fine with you doing that. Yeah. And I will say, though, that is a lot easier than another aspect of this, which is that if you're really embracing this mentality, I think you also have to kind of decide you're not going to care so much what people close to you think. Yeah. And that is a lot harder to do because, yeah. well, one, these are people who are close to you because you value their opinions in a lot of cases. And two, their opinions like really do impact you. But I think if you really, really, really do want to be your true self, you have to say, my best friend is going to think that this is cringy and embarrassing, but I'm going to do it anyway because it's what I care about and what I love. And I think it's also just worth calling out that this whole idea of not caring what other people think is 
something that is a lot easier to achieve depending where on the privilege spectrum you are. Like your skin color, where you live, how much money you have, like it all impacts your ability to just decide you're not going to give a fuck, which is why we have the stereotype of the eccentric billionaire dude who like dresses like a lunatic. (laughs) The glass onion, Elon Musk, all of that. Exactly. Like it's just, it really depends on who you are. In the book, Her Country, it, it, it tracks the careers of Casey Musgraves and Maren Morris and Mickey Guyton. And basically the only thing that worked for them to to be successful was just finally giving up on on wanting to people please, wanting people to like them. Mm-hmm. And related to that, giving up on chasing radio airtime and the promoter stuff that comes with that. And it came easier for Casey and Marin. It seems they are white girls who've been performing since they were kids. Mm-hmm. And it was harder for Mickey Guyton, who is a black woman and like one of the very, very mm-hmm. few black people in country music mm-hmm. in general. But then once she started going down this road, she really was encouraging other artists who were not, you know, who were not being their true selves, who were not being vulnerable to do it and opening or- doors for people like the openly gay artist Brooke Eden. In reading it, it felt like this is how it's supposed to go, that, Mm. you know, you're supposed to have the realization in the storybook version that, of course, the only way you're going to find success is if you are who you are. But it really did seem to be the thing. And, you know, to the point that you just made, it's like, can you afford to not chase radio airtime? And can you afford to not try to please all the promoters? Can you afford not to play the game? Not everybody can. Right. Yeah. And then of course. not all the. Yeah. It's. Yeah. I liked this thing that you wrote here about like embracing cringe should not be confused with cringe as armor. Yeah. So I think we're seeing more and more people being aggressively, purposefully cringe as a way to ward off cringicism. Mm. And the retro example you came up with that is strong is Weird Al. Mm-hmm. Like if you are just going so hard at being the most yeah. egregious cringe, mm-hmm. then mm-hmm. who can call you cringe? It's not fun. The cringe is the point. The cringe is the point. Mm-hmm. And certain internet speak goes in this direction mm-hmm. where it's try it's like trying to sound really dated or trying to sound aggressively cool in a way that no one would actually speak as a way of being like, I know this is an act so that no one can ever say, oh, cringe. I think sometimes when people just constantly tweet in all caps or even just do their Instagram captions in all caps, I read it that way where I'm like, you know, you're being cringe, but you think if you put it in all caps, it like, <laughs> it makes it, does it better. something. Right. And maybe yes, it does. It- Not just that you think it does, but that it does. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This led me to Google the term post-cringe, mm. which shocker of all shockers, Urban Dictionary has a definition for because every single word is defined in Urban Dictionary. It refers to speech or behavior characterized by a banal, effectless disregard for the violation of proper taste and or societal norms, generally driven by a belief that the traditional social order has been irreparably disrupted and thus certain actions that are once considered cringeworthy have become commonplace. I really liked this. I'm so glad you Googled post-cringe. The two examples that I came up with, one real life, one not, that felt like they proudly exemplified post-cringe are Caitlin Phillips, who if you don't know who she is, the New York Times did an extensive profile on her for you, and then Roman Roy on Succession. The, yes. It's the <laughs> incredible examples. It's the banal affectless disregard that really made made these two work for me. I I do worry that this definition might veer a little bit into American psycho territory. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So we should all be a bit conscious of that. (laughs) But this like just a gentle embrace of the knowledge that what's acceptable today might very likely be cringe tomorrow Mm -hmm. 
like, so who cares? Yeah. Just don't give a, don't give a fuck about it. Right. Right. Yeah. More good cringe. Yeah. More good cringe and less judging other people's cringe, I guess, or, or, or even just maybe more questioning our own cringe reaction. In addition to just being a more cringy version of myself, chasing my own edge of cringe, I want to embrace other people's cringe. Because I do yeah. think, I do think in addition to just being the healthier approach to life, I think there are a lot of people in my life, like I would say even in our life that we are like, that person is a ridiculous human being, but I love them. Like our friend Lauren always uses the term RHB to describe people, right? And I think that there's people like that who I'm like, I can't put my finger on why I just love this person, even though they're so absurd and ridiculous. And I think it's because they're just like, they're the good cringe, where they're just fully being themselves. They're the good cringe. And it's hard to get mad at that, no matter how yeah. absurd it is. Yeah. That's it. That's the show. This has been a production of Dear Media, and we are so grateful to the talented team over there for helping us make this podcast happen, especially to our wonderful producer, Ali Slice. You can follow us on Instagram at a thing or two HQ. And if you have ideas for our show or want to advertise, email podcast at a thing or two HQ.com. Find show notes and sign up for our newsletter at a thing or two HQ.com too. If you love the show, consider supporting it by signing up for a secret menu also at a thing or two HQ.com. note that this episode may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products and services. Individuals on the show may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to in this episode.